Let's pray. Father, thank you that who you are is enough for us to worship you. God, I, I, I am so thankful you are faithful. You are generous. You are righteous. You are great. You are awesome. You are fearful. And so God, on this day, we are reminded. We're reminded that we worship you for who you are. God, I, I, I stand amazed at who you are, Lord God, at who you are, that God, as, as we sing, as we listen, as we, as we tune in on this webcast, remind us, even, even in these few words that I can give today, remind us who you are today. And God, let us not impose who we think you are. Let us not impose who we are as parents on you as a father. Let us just realize your thoughts are higher. Your ways are higher. And today we will worship you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you know our city, our country, we're facing so much today. We're in the midst of everything from a pandemic. Some are still quarantining. Different nations are experiencing spikes. From civil unrest and, and un, in, injustices that are taking place. And a lot, a lot right here in our own city, New York City, as an epicenter of so much. We are facing all, all of this really on an epic proportion. I was walking the streets the other day just praying over our city, praying for you and our church. And there's so many people that are hungry. and There's so many people that are homeless um, more than ever right here on the streets of New York, right here in Manhattan. Um, it's hard to stop for everyone and do something for everyone. But there is um, one individual that I've saw really more than, than normal. And I was coming out, um, I saw him and I went to one of the local pizza places and I bought um, salad and I bought pizza and I brought it for him while he was begging for money. I said, listen, you don't have to beg for this one. Here, here you go. Here is this. And I'll never forget what he did. He looked at it and decided to kind of look through the bag to see if he actually wanted. He was, he was kind of picky hungry um, is what literally was happening. He goes, I'll take that, but I don't want that. You can take that away. And I was going like, at first I was going like, I'm not a waiter. I'm just, I just came to help you. And now you are, you are beginning to kind of pick apart my generosity. And this is what I thought. And I want you to stay with me because I'll say this a lot. Thank God I'm not God. Because I thought to myself, here I just provided, and you're going to decide if you want it or you're not. You're telling everybody you're hungry. And also, thank God you're not God. Only God is God, which allows us to be overwhelmed by who he is. Because I don't know if I can do what God does or able to be put up at times with what God puts up with. In a sense, I don't know how God does it. I really don't. I don't even know how he sometimes puts up with me. I, we, we are in the midst of um, getting our family up here. And so I've been doing some commuting back and forth. And so I, I, I did the longest time I've ever been away from my family um, last week. Almost, almost three weeks I was away from them um, being, being up here in New York City. And I was flying back to New York. It's been a long, long uh, stretch of working and, and, and getting things 
here uh, at minute, doing things here at the ministry. And I'll never forget, we landed um, for my connection in Atlanta. This is just last week. Landed in Atlanta, and I have an hour before my connection. And we pull, we pull into the airport, and the pilot says, we have no gate. And so I thought, okay, that's not, not a problem. And then we're sitting there, sitting there, sitting there. And for over an hour, we sat there as my plane took off. And I sat in that seat, and I, this was my prayer. I said, seriously, God? Seriously. I said, I, I do all this for you. This is, once again, this is the creature talking to the creator. I said, I do all this for you. You can't open up one gate at Atlanta, just one. There's, there's, there's gates all over the place. You can't open up one so I can get home to see my family. And all I thought about was this, is God is so patient with me. God is so patient with us. And I thought to myself, that's a plane ride. What, what we are facing here as a country and as a planet what we're going through with COVID-19, what we're going through um, with the civil unrest and what we're faced with here as a nation. Um, this is not just a plane ride that can't get the connection. There's some serious things. And I thank God he's God and we're not. That's why when I think of his character and who he is, that's why we worship him. We worship him for who you are, not for simply what you do. God, I don't know how he does it, but he shows how generous and how different he is from us. C.S. Lewis said it in a way that is so astonishing to me. Think of this when you think of how God accepts us as his children. He said, God is not proud. He will have us even though we have shown that we prefer everything else to him. I mean, when we think God goes, you may say I'm on the rebound. You may have tried everything else, but I still want you as my sons and daughters. I still want you in my life. That's who God is. I don't know how he does it, but that's who he is. And, and he amazes me. I was reading the story of a small town that was, that was really being affected by the pandemic. And two small churches thought, let's join together. I was reading the story and these two churches um, Part of the same, same kind of movement, and they thought it was a good idea. Let's bring them both together. And there was one problem these two churches were facing, and it was based on the Lord's Prayer. The one church was a group on the Lord's Prayer that they said at the end, forgive us our trespasses, and the other church said, forgive us our debts. And they were arguing whether they should come together because they couldn't figure out which one they were going to say. Forgive us our trespasses or forgive us our debts. So the local newspaper caught the story that these churches couldn't get together on this. So the local newspaper reported one church went back to his trespasses and the other church went back to its debts. Let me just tell you this. God, this is God's church and he is so patient with his people. Thank God I'm not God. Thank God we're not God. Thank God he's God. He is so generous. He's so patient with us. And this is nothing new for God. He has been dealing with people who have had this kind of attitude and picky, hungry, and, and fighting over non-essentials. And God yet still goes on with us. He's amazing. He's so generous. I, in fact, I want to show you a verse in the Bible that made me literally stop in my tracks. It was, in a sense, when I saw this, it was mind-boggling to me of his mercy and his patience with his people. In fact, I have to tell you, when I read it, I had to read it through over and over again. I thought, maybe this wasn't proofread. This almost seemed like a typo to me going, 
surely this is not what it's saying. Can't be, can't be that. I, my mind went back. I was reading an article of things that got printed. Like I thought about this verse in Deuteronomy, things that got printed that nobody proofread, that got messed up. Um, ads that should have been proofread, but they still went to print. One of them was a restaurant put in the, in the local paper, dinner special, turkey, 235, chicken or beef, 225, children, $2. <laughs> what they meant to say was the children eat for $2. There was one in the, in the bylines of a paper that said dog for sale, eats anything and is fond of children. Okay, I think someone should have proofread that one. Or the local dry cleaner says, we do not tear your clothing with machinery. We do it carefully by hand. Um, Someone needs to be proofreading this stuff. What about the auto repair service that literally had a sign up and said, free pickup and delivery. Try us once and you'll never go anywhere again. Or one of my favorite, use cars. Why go elsewhere and be cheated? Come here first. Or the three-year-old, this one, a school, a local private school was advertising a three-year-old teacher needed for preschool experience preferred. Or the one that someone didn't, some Einstein never thought this through, semi-annual after Christmas sale. When Christmas only comes once, how can you do it semi-annually? Someone should have proofread this. And in fact, I felt like someone should have proofread this verse in Deuteronomy because I'm not God I didn't think that way, and God just blew me away. So let, let me ask you a Bible question before I read this verse to you. That it almost looks like a typo, but it's not. It's going to speak about something about God that I needed to be reminded of. And hopefully this is a good reminder for all of us. So here's the Bible question. Why did the children of Israel wander in the desert for 40 years? Think of that. Not a trick question. Literally, it corresponds to the 40 days that the spies toured the promised land, that, that Moses sent 12 spies to, to say, let's spy it out, and then we're going to go in and take the land. And then God decreed that the Israelites, since they wouldn't take the land out of fear and a bad report, God decreed that the Israelites would wander in the wilderness. Here it is, one year for every day they spied, which was the 40 days, because they never entered into, as a result of their unbelief. What he was saying was the 40 years in that desert was really judgment upon them. It was a discipline. The 40 years in the desert was the judgment that was coming upon them. See, that story happened in Numbers chapter 13 through 14. But Deuteronomy kind of sums up the story. In fact, Deuteronomy is the recap, not just of this story, but of the whole Exodus journey. In fact, the book of Deuteronomy is really one long sermon preached by Moses. It was after 120, Moses is 120 years old, and he is about to give his final words. It was his final sermon that he was about to speak. With everyone before him in the plains of Moab, Israel is assembled all there. And before he's about to climb a mountain and die, and God is, God is about to take him, he begins to recount not only the entire journey, but he talks about those 40 years in the wilderness. And it was in that that began to just shock me of really what God is like. Like the song says, we worship you for who you are. Let me just remind you, why did the children of Israel wander for 40 years in the wilderness? It was God's discipline for not believing that God can give them the victory over the inhabitants of Canaan. That the God who sent 10 plagues to release them for 400 years of captivity and slavery, for the God that would open up an entire ocean, a Red Sea, 
for a God that would bring water from rocks, send manna from heaven, quail as meat, and provide everything that they need, a fire by day, a fire by day, a cloud by day, and fire by night to lead them on this 40-year journey. Why were they there? Because they didn't believe that God would get them into the promises. So God said, for every day you spied out the land, you're going to wander for 40 years. It's a discipline. It was God's discipline. It was God's judgment even upon them. So Moses recounts the last 40 years in the wilderness, and he gives these mind-boggling words. I want you to read them. This is where I was looking for the typo. This is where I was going. Someone should have proofread this. Here's what it says. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all that you've done. He has known your wanderings through this great wilderness. This is the 40 years. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you and you've not lacked a thing. Okay. I want, I, my, when I read that verse, I went, what? Seriously? In fact, how does God do that? Because the part that stands out to me is this. This is God's provision during God's discipline. This is God's generosity during God's judgment. Do you, do you understand what you just read? This isn't, a, this isn't simply a typo in, an, in a newspaper. This is the enduring word of God and God says something that literally is counterculture to the way that even we think. For 40 years, he says, God has blessed you. God has been with you and you have not lacked a thing. Does anybody else pause like me? What he says was, think of it, in the wilderness, the children of Israel received God's blessing, God's provision and God's presence during the 40 years of discipline and God's judgment. God's blessing, God's provision, and God's presence. Isn't this a typo? Because seriously, that doesn't even seem right to me. It, it, I, I thought it should have said this, that you've struggled for 40 years because of you not believing, because of your unbelief. I, I, instead, it, they, that instead, it says they knew his provision and his blessing, that they didn't lack anything. That, that's, that's what they got during those 40 years? I, see, I want this, and I have to be honest with you, I want this verse to say something else other than that. And that's why I'm not God. And that's why you're not God, because that verse doesn't even make sense. See, I, want, I wanted to say the last 40 years, God took his hand off you, and you had a scrape to even get any food. And he says, you didn't even lack a thing when you were under my discipline. My blessing was still there when you were disobedient. I was still with you when you walked for 40 years a path that you didn't have to walk. I was still with you. You know what that tells me? That not only blows me away, but let me, let me sum up the song that we sang and let me sum up this verse. Jot this down. God does not love us because we are good. God loves us because he is good. Okay, because we, we, we feel like that our, what we do is, determines if God's going to be good or not. Let me just say that again. God does not love us because we are good. God loves us because he is good. Pastor Tim, can, can, you, can you unpack that a little bit more? Okay, I, I want to help you with this because I want to show you the goodness of God. If you want the details of the 2-7, of the Deuteronomy 2-7 passage, they're really given to us in Nehemiah chapter 9. 
I, I, I was reading through Nehemiah chapter nine, even today and yesterday, and I'm looking at this going, you are good. That's why we worship you. I, I, I want you to strap in for just a moment as you're going to see some details of the Deuteronomy 2-7 passage. You're going to see God's presence and God's provision. Okay, this is going to be a long passage, about maybe 10, 15 verses, but I'm telling you, it's worth reading to see why we worship him for who he is. I'm going to take you into the wilderness. I'm going to take you, I'm going to take you in between, in the white spaces of the Deuteronomy 2-7 to understand these 40 years of wandering, what God was doing while the children of Israel were, were beginning to complain and what God was doing in this. And I want you to see it in a little bit of detail. Listen to this. This is Nehemiah chapter 9. This is Nehemiah just built the wall and is reminding the people of God, the God that we serve, that he is worth, he is, he is beyond us and is worthy of all of our praise. Listen to what he says. This is Nehemiah 9.15. So strap in. He said, you provided bread from heaven from them for their hunger. You brought, this is where they didn't, they didn't miss a thing, God's provision. You brought forth water from a rock for them in their thirst. And you told them to enter into order to possess the land which you swore to them. But they, our fathers, acted arrogantly. They became stubborn, wouldn't listen to your commands. They refused to listen and didn't remember your wondrous deeds which you had performed among them. This is the unbelief part. So they became stubborn and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God of forgiveness gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And you did not forsake them. Even when they made for themselves a calf of molten metal and said, this is your God who brought you up from, the, from, from, from Egypt and committed great blasphemies. This is what I would have just said. The next verse would have said, and God snuffed them out. No, but you and your great compassion didn't forsake them in the wilderness. Uh, the pillar of, cl of cloud didn't leave them by day. I would have said it's out. Go find your own way to guide them on their way. Nor the pillar of night to light for them the way in which they were to go. God keeps giving to them. He says, you even gave them your good spirit to instruct them. He says, your manna, you did not withhold. From their mouth, you gave them water for their thirst. Indeed, 40 years you provided for them in the wilderness and they were not in want. That's Deuteronomy 2.7. Their clothes didn't wear out, nor did their feet swell. You also gave them kingdoms and peoples and allotted them as a to them as a boundary. They took possession of the land of Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, the king of Bashan. You made their sons as numerous as the stars of heaven. You brought them into the land which you told their fathers to possess. You know what blows me away? Is this is God's goodness responding to wicked men. In fact, when you read that, it says you gave, you didn't withhold, you provided, you made, you, you brought them. Every, it seemed like every time they began to walk in wickedness and evilness and evil intentions, God kept coming up with giving them something, not withholding, providing. This, this is what blows me away. I don't know how God does it. That's why it's true. God does not love us because we are good. God loves us because he is good. That's what we have to remember even about this passage. It is true. When I, when I read that passage, when I looked at it, I literally, I opened up my Bible and I started to read that Nehemiah passage and I started to circle all the, all the capital Y-O-U, the U's, God, you did this, you did this, you did this. Some Bibles will say, thou did this, thou did this, thou did this. And in those 15 verses, 
16 times. It says God kept showing up. When people kept going off into something else, God kept showing up. Instead of abandoning them, he kept blessing them. Instead of withholding, he kept providing. And instead of distancing himself, his presence was there. One man said it like this, there's two things in life that are infinite. The stupidity of man and the mercy of God. And thank God his mercy is infinite. The great 19th century English preacher Charles Spurgeon said it like this, God's mercy is so great that you may sooner drain the sea of its water, deprive the sun of its light, or make space too narrow than diminish the great mercy of God. Thank you, God, for your generous mercy, even in my stupidity. Thank you for your mercy as I'm sitting on a plane demanding a gate because I worked so hard for 18 days. Thank God, when I think of what you do for us, I'm blown away. When I'm angry with a picky homeless man, thank God you're never angry with me when I get picky with your blessings. It is your mercy, the mercy of God. It was in a college classroom that an atheist professor was challenging anybody that was in there that was a Christian student, anyone that believed in God. And in fact, he was so brazen, he told the class, in this Midwest University, uh, at the school, this Midwest University, he said, if there is a God, may he prove himself by striking me dead right here and right now. And he sat there with this pompous look on his face and nothing happened and said to the entire class, 200 kids sitting in a lecture hall, you see, there is no God, the professor said. And then one bold young Christian man responded. He said, you haven't proven that God doesn't exist, you only proven that he's very merciful. <laughs> That's what he's done. God is so beyond us. God is amazing. See, the children of Israel had no lack. They had blessing. And God was with them while they wandered for 40 years. And here's what's going to be hard to hear. And, and, and you may be hearing this for the first time whether you've been a Christian at sat in church or whether maybe you're tuning in for the very first time and it may be difficult for us to remind ourselves that God is not like us. But God's blessing was still there even in their disobedience. I know some of you are already cringing. God's provision was there while they were disobedient for those 40 years. God's presence, that's what the verse says. Nehemiah says it. Deuteronomy says it. It doesn't seem right. It's because we're not God. Last week we talked about the, the, the difference on how the disciples determine something and how God begins to interpret something with the woman that broke the alabaster box. That's why David reminds us in, in the Psalms when he says, when, when, he, when, when God begins to speak and he says, you thought, this is God speaking, you thought I was just like you and he's not. That's how he does it, because he isn't like us. See, here's what I've realized. This was the difficult part, but this is the part that I started to understand. When you see God's blessing in disobedience, it's not to continue in disobedience, but to be moved to obedience. That's what it is. When you see God still there, when I've messed up, man, that wants, that draws me closer to him. Because here's what I thought. This is what I thought. 
if that's what God is like in my disobedience, I'm not thinking, let me stay disobedient. I'm thinking, let me be obedient and repent. Because if that's what he does in disobedience, what, how much more blessing comes when I live a life of obedience to God? How much more does God begin to show up and do something that he goes, I'm even more generous. Watch what I can do when my children begin to walk with me. I, 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 let me move you into the New Testament. So get ready, because this is what the Apostle Paul began to tell us. He says, do you think lightly, this is Romans 2, 4, of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing, here it is, the kindness of God leads us to repentance. The kindness of God leads us to repentance. Or the Passion Translation says it like this, to the riches of his extraordinary acceptance. He says, don't mistake his, his, his tolerance for acceptance. He says, um, make you take him for granted and despise him. Have, haven't you experienced how kind and understanding he has been to you? And so what happens is, is God begins to speak to us. And then he says these words, don't mistake his tolerance and acceptance. Do you realize that all the wealth of his extravagant kindness is meant, this is what I love, to melt your heart and lead you into repentance. It's meant to melt your heart and lead you into repentance. And so many times I, I always thought threat and warning gets us to repent. And God goes, I can use kindness to get you to repent. I can blow you away. I can, I can melt you towards repentance. It's the kindness of God. It's the generosity of God. I, I wouldn't have done that for 40 years in the wilderness. I would have said you had your shot. I told you, I showed you, I showed you 10 plagues, the opening of a Red Sea. I showed you food from heaven. I got you through a wilderness here and you won't go into the promised land. I'll get another people. In fact, that's, that's what I would have done. It's, it's, God's saying that the blessing and the provision is not for you to keep doing what you're doing, but maybe for us to have our hearts melted and go, God, this is what you're like. This is what, that's why I worship you for who you are. He's doing this. He's showing his generosity. He's showing his kindness to you. Listen, listen to me. Whether, whether you are a, a, a Christian that is living in, in disobedience, and maybe you're not even a child of God yet, but I, wa I want you to listen. Listen to me, Christian, for just a second. Maybe God's going, my kindness that's showing you, maybe it's supposed to melt your heart to go ahead and forgive that person. Maybe it's to show mercy to that prodigal child that you just want to keep locking out going, I don't want them to be part of this household. Maybe, maybe for a moment it's forgiving a debt that a person who owes you money and just go, this is a difficult time for them. Let me just go ahead and do this. God has shown so much to me. Maybe it's for some of you to go back to church, to his church, to a place we're, listen, we all face our own frustrations. We're, we're, we're just a work in progress. The church isn't a hall of fame. I mean, people come into this place, they're looking like for this hall of fame Christians. Can I just tell you, we're not a hall of fame. We're a hospital of people that are just getting better, starting to look a little bit more like Jesus. It's how God treats his disobedient children for 40 years. Just tells me he's an amazing God. He's amazing. I'm amazed by him. He doesn't abandon us when we're disobedient. He doesn't disown us. He's still with us. He still loves us. And that prodigal boy in Luke chapter 15, when he was covered in mud and eating what pigs ate, was always a son 
to that father. That's why he had a home to go, go back to. And I'm telling you today, you have a home to go back to today. How much more blessing comes when we actually walk with God? One of the people whose writings have been such a blessing to me is a woman named Joy, da- jo- Joy Dawson, who, who's part of Youth with a Mission. They call it YWAM, one of the largest mission organizations in the world. I remember Joy Dawson saying these words, disobeying him, disobeying God is the same thing as telling God to hold back all of your blessings that come with obedience and bring on punishments that come with disobedience. That's not only stupidity, it's insanity. And that's why what she was saying was this, to, to disobey is to withhold all that God wants to do. And if God goes, I, I, I'm, I'm there, I could provide even in disobedience. My presence could still be there to try to draw you back with kindness. I start to realize, man, how much God needs to chip away and get at my life. How much inside of me that I need to be reminded of how kind, how generous, how amazing God actually is. And how much work needs to come on my life today. I was reading the story of the late 15th century Florentine sculptor. Agostino D'Antonio says started to work on a huge block of marble he found in Florence, Italy. With a view of producing this spectacular sculpture. And it said after a few attempts... He said he started to try to chip away at this thing and realized it was a lost cause. And in fact, he took that piece of hunk, that hunk of marble that, that, that seemed to, to, to not even resemble anything and threw it in the corner of a studio and left it there. And not just for weeks or months. In fact, the story said he left it there for 40 years. That's interesting, 40 years. He left it there. Then came along another one who saw the ugly disfigured piece of marble that didn't look really like anything, but saw something deeper inside of it. 40 years later, as D'Antonio left it off to the corner, somebody else saw something deeper inside and started to chip away. That sculpture was Michelangelo. And what was inside that block of marble was considered to be one of the greatest pieces works of art ever known. And that was David. That that man took what somebody else threw away and said, let me take and start to chisel that. Listen to me today. As you're watching this, as you're listening today, whether it's on your phone, on your computer, whether you put it on, on your TV, whatever you've done today, not only, not only has God found you, but that master sculpture of God himself, the Michelangelo of your soul is now ready to chip away. And to take your life wherever you're at today and say, let me just chip away. Because here's the thing. You're not God. I'm not God. But thank God, he's God. That can take what everyone else has thrown away inside of us. What everyone else has said, I, I, I can't use them. What everybody else has said, don't come back. I don't want to see you again. That wife, that child, from our own disobedience, from our own neglect, from our own poor choices, And I just want to tell you, some of you sitting there in your house feeling like a hunk of marble that will never make anything of your life. And I'm telling you, today is a day to let God chisel away and make you what you're supposed to be. That's God hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't stopped loving for you. And he is ready to start a work in your life, starting deep down inside of your soul. Here's where we sometimes fall short. 
that we forget and we get stuck wandering in the wilderness that God goes, I've got so much more for you. There's three assumptions. I'm just going to read them off to you that I want us to be really careful of. Don't assume. We, because we assume that the kindness of God is the approval of God. We read that in Romans 2.4. We assume that the kindness of God is the approval of God. No, 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 no. His kindness is to lead us back to repentance. Or as the great Scottish preacher Alexander McLaren said, if you would win the world, melt it, don't hammer it. And it's just God melting the soul with his generosity, with his kindness that he's showing to you today. You know what another assumption is? We assume provision is ultimate when abundance is God's plan. This is important. Jesus said this, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life abundantly. In fact, one translation says it like this. A thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than even you expect. Life in its fullness until you overflow. What he was saying was, every day you wake up, every day that you have a breath, God's provided for you. But he's got so much more than that, than breathing and you're alive. He's got so much more than just you going like, I got a job. He's got an abundant life. In fact, God doesn't just want to keep you alive. God wants you to have everlasting life and live forever. That's abundant life. God doesn't want you just to live a life that you got a, a job from your degree at school. God wants to start something deep inside of your soul. Don't just assume that just because he provides that that is abundant life. God has much more than just simply provision. God wants to bring abundance into our life. Oh, they got provided for in the wilderness for 40 years, but eventually died there. I, I don't want just provision. I want that John 10, 10 abundant life that he's calling for. And if you've experienced the provision of God, let me just say this final thing. We assume everybody's blessing is the only blessing. What, what, what do you mean by that, Pastor Tim? This, this is important because Jesus says this. He says in Matthew 5, 45, that he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Man, I want more. I want, I'll say it like this. I want more than what the evil person gets. I want more than what the unjust person gets. Yeah, thank God for the rain. Thank God for the provision. Thank God um, for the blessing because he loves humanity. I, 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 I want more than what the evil and the unjust are getting. If God does this for the evil and the unjust, what will he do for his children? See, we assume God treats humanity with equality when in fact he has much more for his children that call him, that call him father. He has much more. That's what Romans 5.10 says. He says, for while we were yet enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. What he was saying was this. If while we were enemies, God gave his son for us, how much more, much more, more does he have for those that are reconciled to him? Psalm 84, 11, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord gives grace and glory and no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. My goodness, he's got good things for you, child of God. Stop wandering. Stop sitting off in a corner and thinking this is the way my life is supposed to be. Stop wandering for 40 years and going, I guess this is just the way life is. I'm here to tell you this. You've been kept alive by the kindness of God. You have a job because of the generosity of God. You're breathing today. 
because of how good God is. But I'm here to tell you, God has much more for you. If that's what he did for them in a wilderness, my goodness, can you imagine what he does for us today that would say, I want you to be my father. I want to be your child today. And there are some people that think, well, I, 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 how, would, how would he accept me as a son or a daughter today? Does he, know, does he know what I've done? Does God know actually what I've, what I've said? The words that I've said, the things that I've done, the deeds that I've done? One of the great Christian writers that just recently went to be with the Lord, Brennan Manning, said it like this. God loves you unconditionally. As you are, not as you should be. Because nobody is as they should be. And he goes, my deepest awareness of myself is that I'm deeply loved by Jesus Christ and have done nothing to earn it or deserve. Look at those words again. God loves you unconditionally as you are and not as you should be because none of us are in that condition. And whatever condition you're in today, <laughs> our God, like Michelangelo, is ready to come and go, I'm going to work a masterpiece in your life. See, You've experienced the kindness of God. You may have even known the blessing of God, but have never known his abundance. You've never experienced the blessing that comes for being a child of God. Or what Jesus calls, what is, what is being a child? Or what Jesus calls that entry point to being his son or daughter today, of being born again. This is, this is an obedience step. One of the great spiritual writers of centuries ago, Teresa of Avila, said it like this. I know the power of obedience has, making, has a way of making things easy, which seem impossible. And I'm telling you today, I want you to take a simple step of obedience out of your wanderings. You've known, you've known the provision of God, but I want you to know the abundance of God. You've known God as creator, but today I want you to know him as Father. I want you to be able to take that simple step to become a son or daughter. Pastor Tim, I, I, I'm not, I, I, I don't have it all together. I don't, I'm, I'm not perfect, exactly. God, and we just read it, God unconditionally loves you, not as you should be, but just as you are right now, because none of us are as we should be. And that's why he is God, and he is good. He wants to come and not just be a give provision and presence. He wants to be father and bring forgiveness. Just because you've known provision, just because you've known, even maybe felt him, now it's time to feel, to know his forgiveness. To know that he's not just come to provide in life, he's to, to give you a life. He's come to give you eternal life. That's what he's come to do. Well, Pastor Tim, how do I do that? How do I step out of a wilderness? How do I step out of the corner as a, as a block of marble that still has a lot of work to be done? The first step is to say, I want to be your child. That's asking for God to come and start chiseling and say, I'm going to make a masterpiece out of your life. I don't care whether you're 70 years old. You could be a grandmother today. You could be a grandpa today. I don't care how many years you've been wandering. I don't care how many years. You may be an addict that's even listening to you. Someone told you to listen to this thing. It doesn't matter. You may be a businessman that can literally make millions 
millions in an economy that you've been blessed, have the provision of such a keen mind making millions when everybody else is losing their shirt. And here's the thing, but you can't keep your home, your marriage and your children together. And you're sitting there like a block of marble. And I'm telling you today, just because you have that provision, I'm telling you it's time to get abundance by being his son, his daughter today. Well, Pastor Tim, how do I become a son and daughter? It's really by asking the, the most important question I can ask you. Have you been born again? The most important question I can ever ask you. Today, I want to invite you to the greatest decision you can ever make in your life. That, that's the power of obedience. That one simple step which makes things easy, which seems to be impossible. That one simple step. It's, this is the generous heart of God, the kindness of God. He's melting you right now with this kindness saying, you've known my provision, but you've not known my abundance. And today is that day. This happens today. How, Pastor Tim? By being born again. How does that, what does that mean? Jesus said this in John 3, 3 and John 3, 5. Unless a man or a woman is born again, he will never see or enter the kingdom of heaven. Pastor Tim, how does that happen? Because Jesus is speaking about a second birth. All of us that are listening to have had a first birth. They're born in a hospital with a midwife and a home, wherever, wherever it was. That's the first birth. That's the physical birth. But there has to be a spiritual birth. How does that happen, Pastor Tim? That's the born again part. And it's as simple. If I can explain, it's as simple as ABC. Each one of those letters, A, B, and C, begin to correspond to a word that's so important on this new journey for abundance from God. How, Pastor Tim? A, it's admitting that I'm a sinner, that every one of us, starting with me, has something broken inside called sin. The day you were born, the day I was born, we had a sin nature that was inside of us. It's a condition in every one of us called sin. I can't, I can't educate it out of me. I can't be good enough to get it out of me. I can't make enough money to get it out of me. I have a diagnosis. We all, the humanity has a diagnosis called sin. And that's why we don't need a second chance. We need a second birth. Well, how does that happen? That's the B word, believe. It's believing that God sent his son to deal with that condition inside of us because I couldn't deal with it myself. I can't fix myself. You can't fix yourself. If we could fix ourselves, then why would God have to send his son 2,000 years ago to die for each of us. He was becoming our sin bearer. He was dying a death we should have died because we couldn't live the life that he lived because he was wanting to give us a reward that we didn't deserve called forgiveness and called heaven. That's where it starts. And finally, it's saying, see, I confess you now as Lord. You're in charge. I've been wandering. I've, I've known some of, you, some of you, some business people are going, I, I haven't had any lack. But just because you haven't had any lack doesn't mean you've had the blessing and the abundance of God. Well, I've, I've come to church and I felt his presence. Well, his presence was with them for 40 years. But this is the day that we say, you are Lord now. You're the boss. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If we confess him as Lord, believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead. The Bible says you shall be saved. That's what born again is. See, the goal of God is not simply to get you to church. The goal of God is to get you to heaven, eternal life, forgiveness. That can happen today. Religion wants you on a Sunday. God wants a relationship, which is every day. And that can happen today. 
Some of your hearts are melting to go, God still loves me. He does. He hasn't abandoned you. God still wants me. He does want you. Take a step out of the wilderness. That block of marble, take a step out of the corner. And would you just pray this prayer with me, wherever you're at, whether you're listening on a couch, in a chair, at a gym, in a car, in a backyard, on a subway, on a bus. Maybe you're in an airport and someone gave you a link. And this is the day to start a new day, to go, I I want all that you have for me. If this is the kind of God you are to a disobedient world, what kind of, what happens then when we become your sons and daughters? This is a prayer to become a son and daughter of God. This is a prayer to be born again. Would you pray this with me today? If you could whisper it, if you could just mouth the words, I don't know where you are, that you could say it, maybe even as a family. Maybe you as a father said, we need, we need to say this together. Come on, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Say these words with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen.